You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. And these days, a lot of people increasingly believe weird things because they hear about them from podcasts. Well, on this episode, I'm going to chat with my brother Donal about two very popular podcasters, both with massive followings, who tend to take an interest in, shall we say, esoteric topics, and also who tend to present them in an uncritical manner. These two are former wrestler Chris Jericho and reigning king of the podcast world, Joe Rogan. At a time when a lack of critical thinking and an inability to discern truth is having huge consequences around the world, I feel that platforming known bad faith actors and grifters without appropriate context and giving them access to vast new audiences is a huge breach of responsibility for any broadcaster. But the situation is not a simple one. When talking about this, it is of course important to address issues relating to the intent, context and the effectiveness of the way in which this is done. Joe Rogan in particular is a complex character, his own attitude towards these uh, esoteric topics and conspiracies and my own feelings about him have changed several times over the course of his career. But we do try to reach a broad conclusion on this issue, nuanced as it may be. Doubtlessly, you'll disagree with some of what we do come up with. Of course, we welcome thoughtful responses on the topic. Contact details will be provided at the end of the episode. Any insightful comments will be read out on the show. Rude or poorly thought through comments will earn you a three-hour session of being locked in a room with Chris Jericho telling you sweaty old wrestling stories. Actually, that sounds rather okay, really. I'm Kean, and this week, here at the Cabin in the Woods, somewhere in Wild West Cork, my beer of choice is Indian Summer Pale Ale from Cotton Ball Brewing in Cork City. It's a light, decent summer beer. You should get yourself a drink too, you're probably going to need one. For this episode, we need to talk about Chris Jericho and Joe Rogan. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. Okay, so we are talking about uh, podcast host Joe Rogan and Chris Jericho, and we're talking about the ethics of information, disinformation, that sort of thing. So speaking with me is my brother Donal. Donal, what is your professional connection to this stuff? Because I know you've been doing... You've been covering some of this um, at work recently. Yeah, so I'm a, pol a political scientist and I work at uh, several colleges in Montreal teaching political science. And uh, one of the things that I've done to change up some of my introduction to politics courses over the last couple of years is to try to give students a, a kind of a toolkit to understand the way in which information is, is spread in the kind of particular uh, media landscape that we find ourselves in here in the, I suppose, the, the 2020s and whatnot. And so I've tried to instill in the students an understanding of the, the kind of modus operandi of, of information, disinformation, and misinformation as it's spread by a combination of uh, outright malevolent actors seeking to undermine uh, democracy and just, you know, uh, useful idiots who can act as conduits for those malevolent actors and then just people, you know, screaming in an attention economy and hoping to catch people's attention and to be heard. So uh, I've sort of developed some uh, assignments that I give my students to try to instruct them into the, the differences between these different types of, uh, you know, kind of um, the disinformation that, that is commonly 
you know, kind of uh, making its way onto the, the social media feeds of the average person these days? Great. Uh, from my point of view, I do a show that covers various fringe topics. I consider myself an amateur student of, of fringe thinking, strange beliefs, that sort of thing. And, and I too see people coming at this in different ways. You have people coming at it from a, a very open-minded, or people maybe perhaps being uncritical sometimes, just taking everything in because they enjoy it. You have other people who uh, would like some of this stuff to be true or real, but require certain amounts of evidence to come forward first. Then you have other people who enjoy it primarily as maybe contemporary folklore or people who study it because they feel that it teaches you uh, teaches us something about how we process information and where we're going culturally. So there's lots of different ways you can come at this. Um, I personally think it is becoming more problematic now when people are consuming this stuff um, more or rather less critically at the moment. But yeah, so this episode is largely about responsibility. It's about people who are in a position where they can say what they like, which we broadly agree with in, in the Western democracies, but it also comes with a responsibility, with, with more power comes more responsibility. And we're talking about two guys who have a very big microphones indeed. And to me, that means that they ought to be considering what they're putting out there, especially given the way culture is going. So we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Rogan, and we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Jericho. They're both very big in the field of podcasting. But Donald, just in case anybody doesn't know um, much about Chris Jericho, for example, can you give us a bit of background on, on him? So Chris Jericho is primarily famous for being a professional wrestler, but uh, he's an ambitious guy and he's he's sought to kind of spread his wings beyond that. He doesn't like to be narrowly defined just as a pro wrestler. And in particular, he's really made, a, I suppose, a great effort in the field of music as well. He's tried to uh, kind of make his band Fozzy a success over the last maybe 15 years almost. And kind of finally in the last couple of years start to have some big hits, including the track Judas, which is a, a bit of a catchy tune now, I must say. Um, so he's made it as a rock star, more or less, but done lots of touring in the field of, of uh, rock and roll. He's also written a bunch of books, initially just the kind of standard um, wrestler autobiography fare, although at a higher level than your average one. And then he started to do some more of the kind of self-help, here are things I've learned on my path to success style books, which are far less interesting. And then in the field of podcasting, of course, uh, he's had his successful podcast Talk is Jericho for the last number of years. It's kind of reasonably early not not definitely in the pioneering category but reasonably early into the wrestling podcast um sort of i don't know universe of which there are gazillions and uh he's kind of notable for not making his show exclusively about wrestling he also brings on kind of characters from the worlds of rock and roll and and movies and especially uh interesting for the purpose of our conversation is that he's kind of since day one had an interest in bringing in people related to the occult and the paranormal world and even UFOs and things like that. So he's always had a kind of a, a taste for the conspiratorial and he gives these guys a chance to just kind of, um, he, I think he took it in probably the spirit that you enjoy these things, Kean, initially, which was just like, here are some interesting characters, uh, you know, telling crazy stories. But I, I do think that he, he definitely believes in ghosts. Like I think he's a, a ghost hunter kind of in his spare time. Um, <laughs> but you know that's maybe the harmless side of things that we can just kind of enjoy as isn't it you know funny that pe people out there have these beliefs and don't we like that such eccentrics can freely express themselves but he's kind of more yes. in more recent years uh, uh, given platforms to people who are pr probably a little bit more dangerous and needed to be challenged by better prepared folks in in the sphere of uh, yes, debate that's a good way of putting it so 
I, I'm going to make a quick call back here. If you enjoy us talking about wrestling, we did a, an episode about Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood Hulk Hogan's biography recently, which is a little out of, a little off, off topic for us, but it was good fun. And um, we've also done an episode some time ago about post truth. That's what it's called, which sadly is still an evergreen topic. So we're back on that topic again. But do check those out if you're interested in this sort of stuff. I've got um. So I have nice things to say about Chris Jericho off the bat. I, I think he seems like a really genuine guy. I think he genuinely loves podcasting. He does it because he loves it. He's not like Stone Cold, who I always got the feeling, you know, some some marketer said to him, look, just just talk into this thing while you're sitting on your desk for half an hour and, you know, you'll get some more cash in. He clearly loves it and he engages with topics that mean something to him. Um, my, my issue comes when some of this stuff is presented uncritically, as you say, by somebody who, I mean, part of his sort of bro aesthetic, which he shares with Joe Rogan for sure, is the, hey, I'm not a smart guy or I'm not an intellectual guy, but I'm curious. And it, it's a little bit like that sort of, hey, man, I'm just asking questions that conspiracy theorists always do, which is super disingenuous. It really, it really, really is. Um, so a, a quick list of like people that Chris Jericho have had on in the last two, three years. Now, this is not the majority of his work. I don't want to mischaracterize him, but this is the stuff that kind of caught my attention. So he had David, David Weiss in from the Flat Earth People. Um, and let him have his, you know, basically have it, let him say his stuff. And Jericho's attitude is generally, you know, hey, man, I'm not saying I completely believe something is out there as that, but I sure like that you're asking questions and I sure like that you're, you know, poking holes in, in the conventional narrative and, and therefore you are intrinsically worth having on. He had um, a cryptozoologist named M.K. Davis, who's not... I like cryptozoology too, but um, he's not the most not the most critical about it. I would say he had his own. Jericho had his own TV show, Hunting Monsters. Don't know if you ever saw that. I don't. Many he's, people. He's did. a proponent. Of, he's a proponent of like, hey, let's go out look for Sasquatch on the weekends. Like, and I mean, I've done episodes about this, and I have some more in the can coming up. But I mean, there was once a time when these ideas were new, and a few, a small number of scientists were thinking you know, this is a new thing, let's look into it with the open-minded spirit of science. And, and and a change that's happened in paranormal culture over the last few decades, I think, is the democratization of it, which is turning it from a thing that, you know, we have trained people making decisions about what's real to, hey, anyone can go out and do this, which is nice from a sort of a democratic point of view, but we're, something that's being lost in the translation is the rigorousness or the it's what some people call scienceiness which i guess is anal analogous to truthiness you know a truthiness is something that seems like truth but it isn't and scienceiness is something that seems science scientific because you have these ghost hunters with their you know machines and stuff but it isn't following the the, the tenets he's had moon hoax conspiracies mandela effect stuff and yeah I, what, what's your thoughts on this so if I can just talk to you very quickly about the, the science-iness and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so the thing about science that I think is, is, is kind of, you know, what's on the line here, right? And, and this is obviously something that you're familiar with, Kian, as, as someone who's worked in the field of science education and, you know, trying to convey scientific knowledge to a popular audience, is that science is kind of, you know, right, what is it? It, it fundamentally is just a method of acquiring knowledge. That's it. It's primarily a, a means to test hypotheses against the evidence. And like you say, yes. it requires a certain degree of rigor, but it also requires, requires transparency. So science as a methodology is inherently democratic already, right? That's part of its 
sort of advantage or leg up over other ways that we can, as human beings, acquire knowledge about the world. And the thing that is always important to remember is that you can be as pro-science as you want and still acknowledge that other forms of knowledge acquisition have value, you know, like yes, tr traditional ways of knowing things can be valid uh, for a long time bef before they find scientific validation, you know, uh, yes. acupuncture kind of, for example, doesn't necessarily have a directly scientific basis or at least it didn't for a really long time but it was clear and remains clear that the Chinese doctors who invented this had some sort of understanding of the nervous system even if they wouldn't you know describe it as such and there's lots of examples of traditional ways of knowing that kind of can be validated by science after the fact right because they come from generations upon generations of trial um, trial and error and hard-won kind of experiential knowledge that then because of the structure of society without the kind of the, the, the truth claim that science offers through evidential quote-unquote proof, although that's a bad word in that case, yeah. that it, <laughs> it, it, it's passed down through authority. You know, like it is this way because I said it is or because so-and-so who's in a position of, of traditional power says it is. So the thing about science, right, is that sciencyness is bad, but scientism, which is the kind of the religious worship of the, the scientific method or the power of the lab coat, is also is it's also, also bad problematic, but it's, yes. it's like scientism is also not scientific um because no science doesn't tell us anything that's the the big key here and uh, so a lot of the people who are you know sniping around the fringes of quote-unquote mainstream science are going about things that have been sort of deemed or thought to be you know fringe let's say like zoology or whatever it the people who criticize scientism think that they're criticizing science and they're not you know and that's that's one of the big things is that when you don't understand what science is and what its limitations are and that the people who practice science often go into it with pre-existing biases and opinions and values and even cultural norms and so it's it's what people think they're doing very frequently and this is where someone like Jericho can be easily hoodwinked is they think they're criticizing uh, science but actually they're criticizing the scientific practitioner who's either practicing scientism or scienciness or whatever you want to call it and that's where Jericho is frequently the kind so, of person who can be duped into believing that oh the, look at this flaw within the kind of methodological organization of science but they, that's not what's being criticized here that's why you know when you hear phrases like trust the science yeah it's like science doesn't speak. It has yeah. to be interpreted. It has to have... And again, that's why your job as a yes. science educator is important. Like there's huge limitations to science that have to be understood as, as part of its not just strengths, but also it's just its general character. So I, well, I mean, I sometimes feel that like a, a, a conspiracy-minded person performs a function in society to remind us, you know, to be... Yeah, to ask questions about whatever... The official narrative that is passed on might be it is and they're very they they can sometimes be extremely good at pointing out flaws it's only that then they they don't apply that same skepticism to you know their their chosen alternative take that frustrates me i guess that's <laughs> like you're, you're really good at criticizing this just apply that turn that hose onto you know the flat earth as well why don't you yeah well that's that's why the uh is it beyond the curve or behind the curve documentary Beyond, Beyond the curve. curve. Yeah, that's that why that's so satisfying we... is because they actually apply um, like scientifically rigorous hypothesis testing to dis like to basically falsify their own 
presumptions, but because they have such a pre-existing commitment to those uh, to that narrative or to the to the conclusions that they want to be proven, uh, that they they w they won't let go of it anyway, which shows you know that shows you that science is kind of value neutral, but it all depends on what you're going in with and what you're coming out with, you know, based on on what you. So to me. Jericho having these <clears throat> topics, occasional as they are on his show, the, the sort of casualness with which he introduces them is really interesting to me. You know, the fact one week he's talking about, you know, his career and his wrestling and next week he's talking about Bigfoot. Like, it, it, it somehow puts this stuff center stage and it somehow makes this stuff accessible in a way that is, is weird to me. I, 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 I can't decide whether it's a problem or not. I, I guess really my issue is with, with what I consider gatekeeping because I... You know, gatekeeping is, is is seen as a negative thing, and and why should only certain people deal with certain information and certain topics? And yet, the inescapable fact I feel is that we are losing our grip on our ability to interpret things in a way that's kind of realistic. I'm using a lot of loaded words here, which can be taken apart, but I don't I don't feel that the that process. I think that process really is happening. Well, I think I think that you're right that. The idea of gatekeeping is kind of a is is the let's say even just the term gatekeeper is is almost automatically pejorative in a context where we have such heavy democratic prejudices and we want to live you know we we want to believe ourselves to be on an arc of historical development where we're participating in the increased democratization of society rather than the either facilitation of existing barriers or the creation of new barriers to you know, participation of more and more and more people, right? And, you know, like the kind of the liberal narrative of progress is that, you know, Obama's favorite phrase adapted from um, Martin Luther King is that like, you know, the arc of history is long, but it, it uh, bends towards justice. And so we want to believe that we're kind of, things are getting better all the time. This is where like, you know, techno-utopianism becomes a problem, right? Which is, which is definitely part of this is that is that sort of, is that Elon Musk type thinking? Exactly, yeah. It's would he be an example of that? Yeah, very much okay. so. Like, like I got a news alert today that Elon Musk is like, I have a chip that we can put in your brain and you can stream music directly into your sort of earlobes or something. You're like, oh yeah, that'll be fine. You know, like so he, so he's the guy that like Frankenstein narratives have always said. How come we never stop and think? You you know like you know you didn't you didn't stop to think about whether you should from Jurassic Park yeah he's well, that sort of guy that we've been telling ourselves to watch out for yeah well it's it's the the Mark Zuckerberg you know I'm creating an interconnected community where freedom of expression you know matters more and can mean more now than ever what before could go wrong? and so you know we have a democratic <laughs> prejudice against the idea of gatekeeping except the thing that's important to remember all the time is that our societies are not like, let's say, if we talk about the West, we're not pure democracies, right? We're liberal democracies. And the liberal part is about individual rights and especially protection of minority rights. And the democratic part then is is trying to also say, A, we'll give everyone some some role of participation within society, but the majority is supposed to have an outsized rule. But the liberal part is designed to present, uh, prevent sorry, the majority from dominating the minority. So that means that there has to be some form of gatekeepers, either as actual people or the way liberal societies have traditionally done it is through institutions, such as, like you mentioned, mainstream media outlets that will, you know, have robust editorial procedures and processes and 
what and norms to say right here's what's acceptable here's what's not acceptable god forbid fact checkers yeah our god for god forbid you know? fact checkers <laughs> whose work doesn't mean anything which is where we're at now like i mean there's more fact checkers where we are now yeah, there's more fact checkers <laughs> today than there was 10 years ago it's just nobody cares about them so i think one of the things that's that's really interesting about what you said that jericho has you know gene simmons on one week and then a cryptozoologist on the next and then donald trump jr on the week after that <laughs> is that there is something to be said for being an intellectual generalist and you know having having a sufficiently broad range of interests that you want to become a you know a rounded individual and one of the problems with you know the sort of intellectual world that we tend to live in today is that if you go on to higher education especially um postgraduate education you have to become so hyper specialized that you end up having a very narrow focus of interest to the ex like to the detriment and exclusion of not just your own intellect but you know things that you should be aware of and need to know you know like do you know there's the caricature of the doctor's um doctor's handwriting be har being horrible as they write their prescription that's because you know they can't write yeah <laughs> they, they don't write I, yeah. And I can tell well, you from my time. If I if I replace the word, if I replace the word um, gatekeeper, which is negative inherently, with you know specialist, we have no problem saying yeah. Of course, people can be. I mean, you have to have a. At the end of the day, you have to have a job. And I, I'm not going to tell a plumber, you know, how to do his job better. I don't know his job better than he does, and I, I'm not going to tell an airplane pilot that I know his job better than he is. Like we're we are comfortable with the idea that people have specializations and that they know their own special thing. It's just that somehow we, along the way recently we've picked up this idea that, well, you know, because I'm indignated by this thing, I do know more about medicine than you do. And I'm not going to wear a mask or, or whatever. Like there, this is it's it's going into a, a dangerous place for some reason. Well, I think I, I think we're not that far from people saying I don't need a plumber because I can look up uh, videos on YouTube to fix any of my problems. Uh, you know, like that's the extent yeah. of, you know, the democratization does come at the ex uh, expense of expertise and a belief in expertise. And the thing about being an intellectual generalist is that it gives you a broad range of literacies. It means that you understand the political world, the social world, the cultural world and the scientific world to some degree. And like the idea would be that you don't have to understand the most cutting edge particle physics research but you have a decent understanding of the scientific method, how it operates, and it, that if you were to skim a newspaper article that was, uh, you know, discussing some recently released research, that you would be able to, you know, make sense of something as simple as what's the sample size, you know, and what, what, what was the sampling technique And, and you used. wouldn't just be agreeing with it. Yeah, or you wouldn't just be... You wouldn't be agreeing with it just because, oh, the scientists say this. You're able to actually interpret it to a, to a degree. Yeah, to a, to a broad degree. Or reading it and just being outraged because it doesn't uh, confirm your, you know, pre-existing biases on whatever issue it may because be. Because reading something and saying, oh, the scientists say this must be... I mean, that is scientism. That doesn't help at all. Exactly. And, and I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people do that. A lot of people who might agree with my opinions on things. I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that they agree with them for, for good reasons. Let's move on to Joe Rogan briefly. I suppose most people know who he is, but um, is it worth giving a little background just about his, his life before what he does now? I, I think at this stage, Joe Rogan is actually most famous as a comment, uh, sorry, as a podcaster. As a he's podcaster. actually the most the most successful podcaster in the world by, by just, some distance. He's just closed a deal with Spotify, hasn't he? Which seems to be some yeah, sort for ludicrous of, money. Yeah, or big, big time money. money. So, and 
he uh but he he initially was a stand-up comedian did some acting and some comedy shows in the 90s and he's also uh an mma commentator he's been uh working for the ufc for 20 years or thereabouts he also had a few netflix shows where he also investigated sort of fringe phenomena and paranormal stuff and his attitude towards that stuff is i think maybe more nuanced than than the, the attitude of chris jericho but we'll, we'll get to it so let, let's say some nice things about about joe rogan first um like it, it's incredible that he has it's very impressive that he uh, gets the amount of numbers he does and he's as popular as he is with a show that goes as long as it does like in an age where our attention is increasingly fractured and we are becoming increasingly short uh, short with our attention span like he's 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 doing something very 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 right. Yeah, he does he does very very long form conversations with a hugely, uh, you know, a huge wide a hugely wide array of guests from, uh, I, I suppose almost virtually any background imaginable. I don't think there's any sort of sphere of American life that he hasn't plucked from in his audiences, and they often go three plus hours, sometimes even more, and yeah, that doesn't seem to discourage listeners at all so i think you know he and what's very interesting is that he takes that ev- as evidence actually of the failure of the american education system that people aren't getting what they need in the classroom and so they come to him which might be true unfortunately i think the <laughs> fact that you can listen to a podcast while you're doing other things helps a lot that makes it quite different different to um, all other mediums but it's it's absolutely to his credit and he he again sort of plays on what a bit of what Jericho does and saying, oh, you know, I'm not the smart guy, or at least I'm not the intellectual guy. But he's not he's not stupid. He's he he's introduced listeners to an incredible variety of, of you know, scientific thinkers and philosophers and various other other things as well. But really, we're here to talk about some of the stuff he does, which isn't so great. And his attitude towards like really hardcore right wing conspiracies in particular has waxed and waned over the years. He's done some TV shows that kind of turned him off it for a few years, but he continually has these people on and lets them set up their stall, you know, in front of millions and millions and millions of people and very often lets them off with more of a pass than I think is is ethical, given the size of it all, his audience. And of course, I'm talking about Alex Jones. We did an episode about Joe Rogan and Alex Jones right at the beginning of the show, maybe a year, year ago, maybe more. He has Graham Hancock, who's a sort of a, an Atlantis. Basically, his fans wouldn't like this, but he's effectively an Atlantis proponent. Um, he had Tom DeLonge from the A-Tip, the UFO thing, who, to his credit, he was a bit more skeptical about. Um, and he's he's had people like Mick Weston as well, who's a, who's a decent enough kind of anti-conspiracy guy. But you can really tell by his attitude. So he, he also does that thing of, hey, I'm just letting all these ideas on because they're interesting i'm not you know necessarily um pro- pro- being a proponent of them but you can usually tell by his attitude he definitely has he has he follows the zeitgeist at the moment of like broadly being in favor of anything which is anti the usual story anti the msm so that's something that's definitely if you listen to enough of them that's something i think you'll pick up yeah i think he's he's definitely He's someone who's who's you know naturally intellectually curious, but he's also kind of he comes with an an onboard um, 
And I can't tell if this is curated or just or just naturally uh, ingrained in him. But he comes with a suspicion of of mainstream narratives, like you said. Of course, not recognizing that he if he's not mainstream now, I don't know what is. <laughs> but, but that's that's just a, a common thing everyone wants. Like the amount of times one of my pet peeves is where I read or listen to someone in the media talking about the media as though they're not part of the media, mainstream or otherwise. But the thing about Joe Rogan that again I think is the the overlap with Jericho here is that he he allows actors to to articulate bad faith arguments without reasoned or or thorough pushback partially just because again he's not in a position to do it himself but also because you know he has a kind of I think he has a libertarian spirit in that he's in, he's you know inclined towards seeing the the world as a as a marketplace of ideas where the the best ones will naturally win out and that lies will be seen as such by you know a plurality of of listeners or viewers or whatnot but that's not really it's how also these an things abdication work of, it's an abdication of responsibility as most libertarianism is anyway but yeah yeah well again the idea is that the, the increased democratization is good um unless of course you're talking about redistribution of wealth and uh, you know, the the idea of assuming the role of being a gatekeeper is inherently bad, except that he is a gatekeeper in that whoever gets to speak on his show gets a massive amplification of their message, and whoever doesn't get to speak doesn't. So that makes you a gatekeeper, whether you like it or not. Now, he, he might say that he doesn't apply the editorial control that gatekeepers are supposed to, and I think you and I would agree that that's, again, a negation of responsibility that does come with a kind of, at, at very least a, a moral or karmic tax that you know in some some sort of alternate universe i hope he's paying because uh, what, what he tends to bring on is a lot of people who um just critique the mainstream you mentioned some of the people that are involved in the kind of fringe conspiratorial side of things um for me pers- as a as again someone whose primary interest is politics he brings on people who are either alt-right or alt-light and allows their uh, criticisms of the you know either left-wing or progressive politics to go down unchallenged and you know i think it's i think it's easy to caricature the alt-right as something that they're not or or something worse than they are but the the, the primary mischaracterization and you know caricature and stereotyping that we see and this has become like a a, a tool in trump's re-election strategy is to to characterize the progressive left as a kind of a, a woke militia of, you know, Nazis <laughs> or totalitarians who want to come and steal away your masculinity. And Rogan coming from the MMA world and being in martial arts for a long time or whatever has a has a tendency to see things through. Like, I wouldn't say he's entirely wedded to ideas of toxic masculinity or anything like that, but He's susceptible to arguments that invoke those kinds of bad faith um, uh, tropes, and so again, like he he thinks that he's got high, um, let's say, literacy as an intellectual generalist, but he has very strong biases, and he gets them reinforced by the types of especially political actors that he brings on. Now, interestingly enough, he had said that he would vote for Bernie Sanders if he could, but. I don't think he wants that out of anything except a kind of a fuck the system style uh, sentiment. I don't think he understands, let's say, the economic merits or or lack of merit 
behind the Sanders message or, you know, where it might be, you know, right or wrong. Like one of the dumbest things I ever so, heard Rogan say is that like the Americans need a new constitution because they shouldn't be listening to people who wrote with quills. <laughs> You know, that's that's the kind of so, and that, like you can just imagine a listener thinking like yeah you're right that was a long time ago Re- not realizing the level of like yeah. for all the faults moral and otherwise that you can apply to the american founding generation not least the original sin of slavery they knew their aristotle they knew their plato you know they yeah. knew their yeah. uh their they were well steeped in the classics they knew their stuff at a level that certainly rogan or most of us can't match no, I, I read an entire book about the education that they would have got in classicism. And it's astonish- It's just, it's incredible. Like the amount of, especially back then, I suppose only the very top tier of people had access to it, but um, they were... All yeah, you have to do you... is, is read the Federalist Papers and you'll see the level of debate that they were having about the, the systems of government that they were, you know, hoping to design or the kind of problems with self-government that they were aware of and concerned about like you're not you're not dealing with people who are writing on the back of a napkin here so i found an article called which i i liked why do people like joe rogan this is from the atlantic it's by a fellow called Devin gordon and he's he's talking about like joe rogan as, as a bro and his connection to this like vast group of bro people and he's just trying to figure out how he's you know he how is he speaking to this many people And he says he shares their passions and enthusiasms at a moment when the public dialogue has branded them as being childish or problematic or on a slippery slope to Trumpism. Like many of these men, Joe grumbles a lot about political correctness. He knows that he is privileged by virtue of his gender and his skin, but in his heart, he is sick of being reminded about it. Which kind of fits in with what you're saying. He doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. He probably, you know, wants the right thing at the end of the day, but he's just... He's just sick of being told what to do and he's sick of being told that he has to feel guilty. And really, that's driving, I think, a lot of his thought processes. I think one. so one of the points that I've heard mentioned that I find pretty convincing is that Joe Rogan is what an intellectual sounds like to, to someone who's never met an intellectual before. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the truth is that, in, you know, while Rogan takes the time to have six-hour conversations or whatever, he doesn't actually, you know robustly or thoroughly go through a lot of what's discussed you know it's unfortunately the like if you take like the analytical style of you know, philosophy or logical reasoning or whatever it's it's not going to make for a good podcast it's boring and yeah and, and annoying um the the other thing i'll say about rogan is that i don't think he's a grifter no but he's he's like grift adjacent so i think <laughs> he actually does well <laughs> He, I think he does well off of there being other grifters in the kind of social media ecosystem that he can bring on and claim to have reasoned debates with. And now you're finally going to get your say out of outside of the kind of the sphere of uh, poisonous discourse, you know, that happens on social media or in the kind of partisan publication industry or whatever. So I think his fortunes are tied to the grifters who are cynically perpetuating the culture war. Uh, and so, so you've got different types of grifters in, in that industry. You've got people who need people to be upset about stuff like tins of beans, <laughs> if you what? think of oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Goya business with the Trumps. <laughs> right, so yeah. that's a good way to distract from you know the kleptocracy of the 
Trump administration. Or masks or but statues the, or anything. And turn anything into a flashpoint like. But the flashpoint the flashpoint is useful for the people who are robbing the country blind. Yeah. But it's also useful for people who want to get clicks, right? Again, yeah. the attention economy. So you got d- different types of grift. And Rogan, I don't think, plays as kind of directly to that particular, I don't know, industry or whatever. But a lot of the people who he brings on from the world of politics are out-and-out grifters. Bad faith, cynical culture warriors who are, you know, stoking embers and coals to, to keep them hot at, you know, 24 I mean, I didn't, I didn't say much about Alex Jones because I just don't like talking about him. But, like, we don't want to underplay the seriousness of what Joe Rogan did there by continually, continually giving that man a platform. You know, and if, yeah. if you don't if you don't know what he was up to a few years ago, go look it up. I don't feel like talking about it, but anyone giving him a platform like has got to take a long, hard look at themselves. And that's that's not about censorship. That's about responsibility. And by the like Rogan made excuses for Alex Jones for years. And yeah. after it was clear that Jones was completely irredeemable and even had started to pick fights with Rogan, which I think you discussed on a podcast previously rogan then brought him on and just drank whiskey and smoked weed with him as though it's all just a laugh and we're all having a game and isn't it fun to go on the internet and just babble away like a madman and if the evidence was out there that you know putting every idea out there and the marketplace of ideas was 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 functioning correctly and the good ideas were going to the top i don't think i'd have a problem with it but in in a world where very very bad things and very dumb things are being considered at high levels i think these guys ought to hold themselves to a higher level of of scrutiny and responsibility so that's that's my that's my ultimate uh, idea for this episode and and not least because virtually everyone agrees that one of the worst things that's happening in the world culturally socially and politically right now is that the sort of the shared civic framework of democracy is being frayed at all ends through sort of rabid polarization and one of the ways that that is sort of facilitated or even furthered is by conversations where you have sort of you know either outright lunatics like alex jones or kind of single-minded partisan hacks like some of the other characters that rogan has on and aren't kind of pushed back upon by uh again that sort of intellectually generalized well-schooled thought process where the debate is kind of shut down where when when it's going into those kind of red zones if you want to think about um and that's again that's like that's what gatekeepers are supposed to do and again rogan is going to say oh i'm just a guy who has conversations and it's like well we all have conversations but some of us don't get 10 million downloads and i think i think that's the difference i have another bit another quote from the article here which is a bit longer but i think you might like it he says um, he seems unable to process how his tolerance for monsters like Alex Jones play a role in the wounding of people who don't deserve it. Uh, and then he talks about the Sandy Hook thing for a minute. Um, is is Joe really nurturing a generation of smart, smarter, healthier, more worldly men or an army of conspiracy theorists and alt-right super soldiers? At the very least, he shows too much compassion for bad actors and not enough for people on the receiving end of their attacks. He likes Jack Dorsey. He likes Milo... I'm not going to try and say that guy's name, but you know who he is. He likes Alex Jones. He wants you to know that he doesn't agree with much of what they say, but he also wants you to know that off camera, they're the nicest guys. 
If we all have fatal flaws, this is Joe's. His insistence on seeing value in people even when he shouldn't, even when they've forfeited any right to it, even when the harm outweighs the good. It comes from a generous place, but it amounts to careless cruelty. He won't just he just won't write people off, and he, then he compounds the sin by throwing them a lifeline at the moment when they least deserve it. That's amazing. That's that's that, exactly that's, what he did for Alex Jones. Like, yeah, I was just going to say that's precisely what happened in that particular case. Because they they um, fell out, and he brought him back on, and just hey, this guy's great fun. Look at him. He, you can drink whiskey with him. You know. Ooh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Well, so I think one of the things that's really important is that, you know, a kind of um, a pretty universal human characteristic is confirmation bias. And so we like to hear things that tell us what we already think. And the appeal of a podcast like Jericho, Jericho's or Rogan's is that we might hear heterodox voices that push, push against our pre-existing biases and all that. And the problem is that that's not really what happens on those podcasts. Um, because we don't get the best version of arguments that we have either a, a natural inclination or a factual basis to disagree with. We get usually just grifters who are there to, you know, sell you some snake oil. So, for example, if you wanted to give a platform to someone who was going to try and explain, uh, you know, the kind of the cause and maybe even, you know, moral basis of the Trump presidency... Donald Trump Jr. hawking his latest book triggered how the Trump presidency owns the libs is not going to do that. <laughs> no. Right? And not. so Jericho led Donald Trump Jr., who is like as as just a stunningly idiotic man, pedal his culture war grift and said, Whoa, that's interesting. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? Hey, I didn't support so, him, but I, you know, let him on your show. You let you gave him a microphone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is where the kind of the I think it's a it's a it's a particularly American idea of free speech, which is, you know, they have the strongest free speech protections in the world. And that's comes with a lot of good, but it also comes with a lot of bad. And as they say, you know, freedom of speech doesn't involve freedom from consequences. And uh, I think like Jericho steps down in respect for allowing a moron to say stupid things on his <laughs> podcast. Um, and so, but where, whereas, like, let's say you could have a, a thoughtful and intellectual discussion with someone who actually understands, you know, where, how, and why American voters might opt to vote for Trump, uh, and you could learn something from it, and you could even yeah, which diagnose necessary. diagnose an ailment, you know, uh, particularly the lib, you know the blind spots of liberalism. Let's say that you know something like the nomination of Hillary Clinton represents. But you can't make that argument if you're just going to do it in this sort of like uh, culture war language of owning the libs and triggered, which is just, you know, it's just a yeah. monumental waste of time. And it even undoes the, the potential positive of podcasts, which, like you said, um, as a format, you know, useful for long form discussion and whatnot, it's that in in a world that we've created where you know, essentially people have very precious leisure time to actually rationally reflect upon the world and grow their philosophical or, you know, uh, intellectual senses. You know, we, we try to just sneak in a podcast while we do the dishes and learn a little something or, you know, connect to some intellectual ideas or whatnot. And if you're plugging into Jericho to listen to Donald Trump Jr., 
<laughs> it's making your day worse, not better. And it's making you dumber, not smarter. But and then Rogan... he'll come back the week after and, and do an episode about 80s Kiss and we'll be we'll be right back there with him. <laughs> well, 80s Kiss nourishes the soul in a very particular way. But at least when you sign up for a podcast about 80s Kiss, you don't expect to learn anything about politics. Unless, of course, it's me giving the... That's my <laughs> keynote lecture on a regular basis. <laughs> but I just think it's very important to remember like how significant confirmation bias is and that we need to be pushing ourselves not to just see all evidence as supporting you know our value propositions that we, we enjoy because it suits our version of the world already. And so like insofar as we're intellectual actors trying to improve ourselves, we should be pushing back against some of the things we believe. And that's why there's no substitute for reading, basically. But I think, again, part of the grift is to, to try and make it out like, oh, I, you can get smarter just by listening to a podcast. You know, it's, it turns there's, things like into Like anything, there's no, there's no substitute for hard work and time spent with the subject. And we increasingly consume, you know, in, in smaller and smaller w amounts. So, yeah, a lot of people might not sit down with a book. But, I mean, maybe maybe like done correctly the podcasting medium is going to help some people out of this because they a person who just can't or won't read a book will end up spending more time with with a subject especially if the episode is like four hours long but it does have to be coming from um it has to be coming from a good faith place and it has to be coming from somebody who knows what they're talking about <laughs> yeah I just, I just think like it's really significant the degree of historical um and cultural amnesia that we have and in, in our society at the moment and with kind of, I guess, civic and scientific illiteracy at pretty high levels, you could spend four hours of your time listening to a podcast that really, you know, swindles you intellectually. And so we just have to be, I, I agree with you that I think the podcast as a medium is, is a gift for the kind of world that we've made for ourselves. But you just have to be super careful that you don't give over your time to to interviewers who don't even understand the topic at hand and are just there as a sounding board for bad faith actors to, you know, kind of, again, peddle their, their mock. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much for your thoughts, as always. Do you have anything you'd like to recommend, either some creative project you've got going or um, something that you've come across recently that you like that you think people could check out um, to make their life indeed better? So one thing I like is... Uh, there's a podcast called The uh, Ezra Klein Show, and he makes every guest at the end of uh, each episode recommend three books. So I'll recommend three books that are uh, useful for this, uh, for this, like, let's say, homework for this assignment. <laughs> I'd recommend The Age of American Unreason in a Culture of Lies by Susan Jacoby. I would recommend The Death of Truth by Michiko Kakutani. Uh, both of those uh, published in 2018. And then there is Surviving Autocracy by Masha Gessen, which just came out uh, just actually a couple of weeks ago. And it's about the, the similarities between um, disinformation under Putin and disinformation under Trump. All three are good primers for the uh, bizarre intellectual world that we find our ourselves in right now. Fantastic. Thanks very much. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. If you'd like to reach out to us, uh, best place to find us is still on Twitter, where we are at Strange Ireland. Apart from that, if you'd like to help the show, reviews are really good, stars are really good, but most importantly, sharing the show with someone who you think might enjoy it. So until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.
We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.